0: Sign up for Score North's Pick Your Prize. You can register daily through the Score North app or go to scorenorth.com keyword prize. Sweepstakes begins March 18th. Special thanks to our prize partners. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings... (laughs)
1: We present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast.
0: Well, and welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here along with ESPN's Courtney Cronin. Courtney, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Uh, I am enjoying covering a 9-2 and two football team. Because
1: it is fun covering a team that wins. You know why?
0: Why is that? Because
1: then you don't have to deal with attitudes <laughs> in the locker room after or the same storyline. How are you going to get your first win? Which I did last year for multiple weeks.
0: Oh, for the 49ers?
1: Yeah. Get the, got the first win over Case Keenum and the Rams. And then... The drought until Christmas Eve. Oh, man.
0: Well, you and I share something, then, that we have covered epic futility in the past. Yes. Because uh, having covered the Buffalo Bills for a long time, I never was around a playoff team or a team that was in December and feeling really good about themselves. And uh, I agree, the jovial atmosphere in the locker room, something... uh, Not used to, and even from last year, this team at this point in the season was mid-meltdown, but I think they've proven this year that that's not going to happen again. So we want to get into the uh, breakdown of Falcons v. Vikings because this game is a great matchup. But let's start there because I know you're working on a piece for this week about Mike Zimmer and how he's handled this season. Considering how much they've gone through adversity, if you will, uh, I mean, but considering that they lost their starting quarterback, they lost their star starting running back, and other players along the way have been dinged up. They've got a very tough schedule, I think. At least these recent couple of games have been against uh, difficult teams. And yet here we are at 9-2. and two. What does that say about the way mike zimmer has done his job this year
1: i mean he's he's managed everything to literally the worst circumstances that you could you could ask for losing a starting quarterback um losing your starting running back and i think it all dates back to last year i think he saw what happens when there's a monumental collapse learned from it changed kind of the way he did things here i mean you talk you talked in the off season he wanted to learn offensive football that was a thing he wanted to become more involved with as far as you know the game management and you know what happens on that side so i think he really he, he might not say it but i think that he really did change a lot of what he did um and not not so much as like a conscious change but just like learning from what went wrong learning from learning to do things differently and i think it really shows that you know, four years into this thing with the Minnesota Vikings, he's at a point where he he can handle anything that comes at him. Because, you know, from the personal standpoint with his eye last year and, you know, the hell that that probably was personally for him. And then, you know, 5-0 to 8, you know, with the last 8 of what, 8-11 of yep. after that. I mean, God, like, you know, it's... it's adversity is a word that we throw around and I don't think people like I think it loses meaning Mm -hmm. and he certainly you know deserves to say hey I had adversity and he overcame it
0: at the very top of the list for things that I would praise his coaching job for this year that he has not locked himself into Case Keenum as the starting quarterback And he also hasn't locked himself into the idea of having to play Teddy Bridgewater at some point either. He's insinuated, yeah, we'd like to get him out there. We'd like to see Bridgewater again. And it'll probably happen. I mean, if there's any blowout one way or the other, you're going to see Bridgewater. Or if we get to week 17 and Keenum has continued to play well and they're just in the playoffs all set then you'll see him play probably against the Bears. But I think slow playing this has been the right way to go, despite a lot of pressure from the outside. Every pregame show, every postgame show is saying, why aren't you naming Keenum the starter? And he just has sort of scoffed at that and said he's just going to continue to take it week to week. I think that's the right way to go, and I think he's done a great job managing that situation.
1: Yeah, and if you would have asked me this a few weeks ago, I don't know if I would have seen it as clear as it is now that it's worked, and Keenum said as much against the Rams. Like after that game, he said, you know, if it's, he used the whole, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Like this is the way that it's being managed. He was fine with it back then. I'm sure he's getting tired of the questions being asked, you know, like, is it a knock in your, you know, is it a knock, is it a knock in your confidence? Have you done enough to earn the job? And, you know, I guess, you know, in the Mike Zimmer world with quarterbacks there really is no such thing as um, you know, the true starter, the outright starter, because I mean he is right. Uh, you know, you could he he said earlier that, you know, say I never said Sam Bradford was a starter. I think people of course you just assume that because of what he's getting paid, of what he was brought in here to do. Um Keenum was brought in here as a backup. He's had that stigma of, you know, you're just a backup, like, how can you be outperforming um, the expectations set before you? Like, you know, I don't, I think people have read into it too much that maybe Zimmer's trying to test him or maybe he's, you know, truly doesn't believe in his skill set. Like, what's the, what's the rush in naming saying, hey, Case is a starting quarterback, because then what happens? if What if he goes to Carolina and gets smoked? Then you're dealing with the situation, a cluster, like the Bills are dealing with. Like, oh, we're going to bench Tyrod. Oh, Wait we're going to, Tyrod's going to play again. It's his right. job again. And see the same thing in De- Denver's been an absolute circus this year. And it's embarrassing watching that situation. Like, oh, Trevor Simeon's the quarterback. No, he's not. Brock Osweiler. Oh, no. Paxton Lynch. Like, it, I understand injuries happen, but it's not healthy for a team to be dealing with that much, you know, that much uncertainty. And I think that the way that he's, that Zimmer has handled it, it's the best way you can, um, you know, given the circumstances and the guys in that locker room know that Keenum's going to be the starter. They view him as a starter. They don't view this as a quarterback controversy. That stuff's all coming from the outside.
0: I think uh, two things. Zimmer, it seems has used his leadership group to meet with them and talk with them about this situation, which I'm not sure that he always did in the past. I, I mean, I think Zimmer has had to learn to trust some of the people around him. Trust the process potentially? No. No, not trust the process. <laughs> trust the people. But who are part of the
1: process. Why, why is
0: Case Keenum now saying trust the process? Hey, I mean, I it. think
1: it's a cool... It's it, a case. it's a It's a thing that they think is kind of cool. It's a cool phrase. It, it is very... Nick Saban it, uses it. And he makes involved. $11 million a year. He's, it's a cool phrase.
0: Thanks, Joel Embiid. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't need that. Or is it Joel Embiid? Joel. Joel. Sorry, Joel. Should be
1: like an umlaut on the E, I believe. Or maybe... Oh, I don't know. I'm going to speak German.
0: Anyway, so that's number one, that I I think he's had a feel for the locker room that maybe he didn't have so much last year. Finger on the pulse of what his leadership group wants. And the other thing is that Case Keenum's personality is built for this. The guy, I think that he could just handle anything. I mean, any type of situation. We saw it in Chicago where he was on the bench and then he came off the bench and they end up winning the game. He goes 17 for 21 passing. He was prepared. He was ready to go. His feelings certainly weren't hurt by the team turning back to Sam Bradford, just like it wouldn't be if he struggled these next two games and then Teddy had some problems shaking off the rust and they had to go back to him. I mean, Zimmer knows that he can not say through the media or to Case Keenum's face. He said today that he's told Case Keenum the same thing he's told us, that, hey, that's week to week. That's how the NFL works. Go out there and play. And, and Keenum is not going to get his feelings hurt by it he's not going to pout he's just going to go play because he's a veteran nfl player who's been around and dealt with this before and understanding that i think has been important for zimmer because maybe some other quarterbacks would be a guy that you would have to say no no he's our mm-hmm. guy we believe in you but keenum doesn't need that type of pat on the back
1: and i think it's over you know he's 29 years old over the course of his career he doesn't bounce around veteran you know journeymen the The stuff he went through in Houston, the stuff he went through in Los Angeles. I mean, it really begs the question about... I saw somebody wrote something about it today, about Jared Goff and Case Keenum. Like, was Jeff Fisher, like, the quarterback killer? Was he seriously... I mean...
0: I think their left tackle was, too.
1: Yes, and for obvious reasons. But um, I think it begs the point too to where what coaching can really do for a guy um it's kind of a product of you know what you're seeing Sean McVay do with Jared Goff and obviously here with you know Pat Shermer and Mike Zimmer um they've gotten the most out of him and I think that over along that process he's gotten a much thicker skin I I would I think it's very safe to say last year with the way that that situation was handled in LA even though as the blame kept going to Keenum, Fisher was trying to deflect that and saying, no, it's not his fault, even though two of those, two of their wins that they had when they were like four and five, like they didn't score a touchdown. Um, you know, it's the man, the way that they managed that and the way that he was able to not play over his shoulder this year, because he played over his shoulder the whole time he was there, played over his shoulder in in Houston, I want to say to a degree, you know, even as a younger guy. So, I mean, he's learned. I think it just comes with time as it comes, you know, comes full circle. Look at, look at Zimmer. Like, I don't know if he would have been able to manage this situation had all this stuff popped up in, you know, when he first got here in 2014, the same way that he's doing now. And I think that that pays, you know, it, it it goes back to the point he made last Friday, where he said that the, t- the adversity that they went through, stuff they went through in 2016, prepared them now. I mean, you have to hit rock bottom. I think there's nothing more than rock bottom last year, and, you know, the team still kind of bottomed out. Like, even this year, with some of the stuff that, you know, they were still at rock bottom when, you know, the Sam Bradford and Dalvin Cook, and maybe, I guess, week five is the, despite the win against Tampa Bay, like, that was the last rock bottom, week four. Week five, it's been a steady incline.
0: Among the, the things that I would also say uh, Mike Zimmer has done a really good job, I would put under the category of who he selected to be his offensive coordinator. Yeah. that I mean, we kind of just cruised over that decision being made this offseason because Shermer was the interim last year, and we sort of went, oh, okay, he's the real offensive coordinator now, and then just moved along. But that decision has pl- paid huge dividends, not only just Shermer with the schemes he's drawn up, but how he's adapted to what Case Keenum can do, and found ways to scheme guys open. I mean, there's a play against Detroit, short play, maybe like 12 yard pass to Adam Thielen. Thielen's lined up against the linebacker, mm-hmm. and then there was a play against Cleveland. It was the same thing, or uh, sorry, Washington, same thing. He ends up against the linebacker, goes over the middle, gets 20, 30 yards after the catch. He's he's found ways to do that to create mismatches, to succeed with a lot of play actions, to do things that can kind of enhance what Case Keenum's able to do. And I don't think that Norv Turner would have been able to do that at all because he was very much stuck in the way that he wanted to play. So even though that sort of situation was problematic last year with Turner leaving and Schirmer taking over, keeping Schirmer on, seeing the things that he was doing last year would be able to succeed again this year with a better supporting cast, I think has turned out to be maybe his best decision of the year.
1: No, yeah. I mean, there's, there's no question that... Pat Shermer is going to probably get a lot of calls about a head coaching gig after this. And whether he wants to, you know, go back to that route, whether he wants to stay a coordinator, uh, I guess will be, you know, remain to be seen. I mean, you would think that once, get, I mean, if it's anybody but the Browns, maybe they'll try to hire him again. I don't know. Um, would
0: anyone be surprised by anything with the Browns?
1: But I, I just think you, what you mentioned, the you, that just like kind of jogged my memory with that, um really critical catch. I believe it was on third down to Stephon Diggs in Detroit. Um, I don't know if that happens with a different scheme. I don't know if that happens. The way Keenum's had confidence um, to make some of these, like, just... Really critical, timely throws on third down, and I think it's your it's your it's your personnel, but it's also the confidence that they have to let him do that. And I mean, you even saw him, you know, take off with his legs on a few of those third downs in Detroit. That that's been such a critical part of this offense that you can directly point back to Pat Shermer. And obviously, you mentioned the play action. I mean, they've there's few teams that have utilized it. I mean, obviously, you think about Kirk Cousins and the Redskins, but I think you could say very safe to say that. Keenum's up there because he has utilized that fantastically. I, mean, I believe it's four or six. Or that number just in my head right now of uh, touchdowns that they've run out of play action this year. Yeah, the, I'll have to uh, find that stat. But I was just you know, for me, realizing like that that's such a it's such a basic concept, but the way that they've been able to utilize it to the degree of success that they have is is remarkable.
0: It seems too that they've adapted the running game when Latavius Murray is yeah. in the game to then show those same sort of looks on play action. Uh, They're running play action, the numbers on it, they're running play action 25% of the time, which is second in the league, Mm -hmm. and gaining the third most yards per attempt out of play action. And especially it's shown up for me on third down and short, where they're running a lot of play actions and then dropping the ball off to Kyle Rudolph. There was a key play in the Rams game where that happened, where they just dropped the ball off maybe two yards from the line of scrimmage to Rudolph, but he's able to get just past the... Uh, first down marker, and set up a first and goal, and then they score there, it ends up being a huge play in the game. If you kick a field goal, the Rams are still in it. You score the touchdown, and then it was seemingly over from there. And in the red zone especially, it's been an amazing oh, job. Just a brilliant job from Patrick. Like,
1: like look at where they were last year. Weren't they 28th in red zone offense and red zone scoring? And now they're – I think we talked about this on Friday, where they've jumped from like 27th for, uh, 26th through the first seven weeks, and now they're 4th. Um, I believe that still stands. I mean, it's it's all adjustments, and he talked about that on Thursday. Um, it's not just adjustments that they made during the bye week or you know, during the short period that they had off. It's more than halftime adjustments. They're constantly doing stuff to tweak it, and I think Zimmer's involvement in the offense, I mean, we'll never fully know how much it is, mm-hmm. but you know the meetings that those two have and the, the mutual respect of you know this is a brilliant defensive mind who is putting forth an effort to learn this from a different side and i think that's i think it just makes him a better coach i think that's why he's a better coach this year um because he really understands it as much as you know maybe he delegates maybe he doesn't um he's learning and i think those concepts are allowing them to be a little bit more aggressive and cuz usually i mean for a defensive coordinator to have a quarterback like Case Keenum, I think that's why we get some of those comments about the excitability and sometimes a little too too aggressive for Mike's uh, you know want to. Because Teddy was a guy who would take less risks. Shermer's what Shermer has done with Keenum has allowed Zimmer to be comfortable with a little more liberal play calling. <laughs> Guess i will call it that.
0: Yeah, I think uh, that is definitely a difference between Teddy Bridgewater and Case Keenum, and, and I I would say that. Often we give quarterbacks major credit when they do take risks because it's a lot more fun when those risks work out. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, so last week there's some plays where he escapes a rush and makes a throw. I wouldn't say super downfield, but, or he takes a hit on the throw to Kyle Rudolph, or, you know, he's moving around a little bit. There's the play against the Rams where he just hucks it up in the air and Adam Thielen comes down with it. There's the good of that. But there's also the bad where last week, we kind of overlooked this entirely, but when I went back on film, I realized how close it was where Keenum tried to step up in the pocket late in the game and flip the ball out to Jarek McKinnon, and it hit the defender in the foot. Mm -hmm. If the defender turns around at all, it's a pick six, more than likely, or at least he's intercepting that ball, and he kind of just got lucky that it wasn't. And that's happened to him, I think, more than a couple times, and that probably drives Zimmer crazy. Oh, my.
1: I'm sure that that's probably the biggest mm-hmm. thing that's what he's talking about the whole off the you know off the reservation and all those comments that he's made um I think that that's it's not just the excitability it's the errant throws that could vary I mean that game there were a number of different times that that game could have flipped outside of the um you know the blocked uh, the the guy uh Darius Slade jumping off sides and that last field goal like there's he, he, there in that fourth quarter too he had a few big throws on third down but there were also some really questionable like towards the end because I I said you know I still support it that through the first three quarters there was not a single bad bad throw like I think that I I thought that was his most complete game
0: oh yeah I thought so too just it 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 was very Keenum like to have one or two plays in there where you go whoop, just kind of got away with that one and that's Happened each week, and I think it's part of the reason why Zimmer has played it this way. But I, I mean, I think with Zimmer, his, he's such a player evaluator mm-hmm. that all the time he's looking at all of these things and saying, is it repeatable? What's it going to look like down the road? And should I lock myself into this quarterback? Probably not at this point, because this could change. And if it doesn't, I'm just going to ride that and just drawing it all back to where we started. I think that's where you would say Zimmer has been at his best. This year is sort of slow playing this and not reacting to to what the media says.
1: Yeah, and there's, as you said, he's getting it from all different angles, from fans, from... I mean, I'm not sure he listens to any of that anyways, but... um, Well, the
0: Keenum crazies are out, man. Oh, my
1: goodness. They are in full force, and they they keep it interesting. They keep it spicy, just like Case Keenum.
0: I wrote uh, (laughs) an article about the Falcons' pass rush, which is where I want to go next. Sure. And... The comments on the article were, why are you being so negative about Case Keenum? I'm like, what? Well, I, do think, I do think there is a
1: point that like he is very good under pressure, and not a lot of people talk about that. And it depends where the pressure is coming from. Is it standard pass rush? Is it a blitz where he knows he has to get the ball out quickly and he can see it coming? Um, but, you know, there is – this is – I think that we can get into it. This is a tough defense because there's not just, like, one really good marquee guy especially with the pass rush situation. It's everywhere. Well,
0: the um, just the point on the pressure is I'm not so sure he is good under pressure or he's just been good under pressure. In, well, he's been in, good this least. year. Right. But can anyone be great under pressure all the time? Because just a friend of the podcast, Eric Eager, who comes on for Pro Football Focus, they track under pressure and how quarterbacks perform – And from year to year to year, you see major—it's like a roller coaster. Mm -hmm. Spikes, ups and downs, even from the best quarterbacks. Even Tom Brady one year will have better numbers under pressure than he will uh, from other seasons. And sometimes, even when you have a good offensive line, you'll hold the ball a little longer and you'll know exactly how much time you have, as opposed to a terrible offensive line where you're trying to get it out super fast. So maybe you're not under pressure technically by the stats— as much, you know what I mean? Yeah. That Sam Bradford last year was not the most pressured quarterback in the NFL because he was catching the ball and throwing it right away, so he didn't get murdered. And so that's how some of those pressure things can throw you off. I think.
1: I, and I but I and I'm, I don't think anybody's going to say that you know historically speaking, Case Keenum was great under pressure. The situation here, I mean, he knows where the coverages are, he knows where he can drop and where his protections are going to be. Um, he's been good with it and i think it's obviously a credit to the offensive line and the rebuilding that they did how athletic those guys are and how long as we saw those two sacks that he kind of caused himself in detroit like how long they can hold guys off to get it from getting to him um but you know there's numbers don't lie i mean he's been the best quarterback against the blitz this year i mean he's the highest QBR against the Blitz and that's been a number of weeks it's been I, I know it's been since the bye I believe it went before that too but that's been his strength
0: mm-hmm. yeah well and that's the interesting part of it is that this year he's got great rating under pressure great rating against the Blitz last year he was one of the league's worst quarterbacks under pressure and averaged I think 5.9 yards per attempt against the Blitz
1: in his offensive line like there's, there's what you can. Po- that's the first thing you can point to outside of you know the scheme and coaching and all that, like everything that's like changed for him mm-hmm. to a situation in Minnesota.
0: So trying to figure out whether those pressure numbers are going to regress or whether it's the group around him that's propping up those pressure numbers. Because I think part of it is when you have that offensive line, uh, as they do now, that he's holding the ball longer, oh, way yeah. longer than Sam Bradford did last year. Because he can wait for routes to develop, and then, yes, you're getting pressured at the end of that play, but you know how long you have to let that route develop. So those numbers get very hairy for me in, like in, in actually analyzing how good is a guy under pressure. I'm not really sure.
1: And I think he's gotten – it's interesting because you take a look at – I think it was like – I remember the difference. There was a differential of like .25 or point three second. Oh three maybe seconds from like the, from when Sam Brad, what Sam Bradford's release was week one and where Case Keenum was week two. And then, you know, as Keenum got better with it, like he was, you know, it's like his release time week two, and then it went down like weeks three through like five. And then as he got more comfortable behind his offensive line, he knew we could hang in there a little bit more, step up into the pocket, make sure he's going through all of his, you know, reads first before something happens. Um, And, it's interesting, though, because I, I we always – what's the question we always get? When's the when's he going to plateau? When's he going to level off? And whether you believe in that theory of pitchers, I don't think you can, you know, relate the Major League Baseball comparison of, like, you know, a pitcher that gets hot, um, you know, in the natural plateau or natural level off. I mean, you're – it's over a longer period of games too. I don't know if that necessarily applies to the NFL, but I also agree with you that you know the numbers under pressure, albeit like what kind of pressure it actually is. Um, it depends on everybody else around you. It's not just you. I think it's very situational, and to look at it any other way would just be you know it'd skew the facts.
0: Well, that's the regression point is tougher in the NFL by far mm-hmm. than it is baseball. Because it isn't batter versus pitcher or pitcher versus batter. I mean, there's just so many they variables. Team sport. Yeah, and, and I think not Adam, saying that baseball's not Adam Thielen. Well, fielding will impact too. I mean, there, you could have a short stretch where you might realize that somebody has gotten really great fielding that's not sustainable over a stretch. Uh, but I think it, the impact is much bigger here where Adam Phelan is a guy you look to on third down or under pressure every time. And he's always open and he catches everything. Yep. And that helps a lot. As it's funny because I
1: asked him about that. He's like, oh, no, we never like we never talk about that. Of course. Like, I, I don't know if it's coming to me on third down. Yes, you do, Adam.
0: Adam like, always, always <laughs> talks, but is uh, supremely humble. No, say. I mean,
1: I love it. Like, it's just, you know, but he knows that ball is coming to him on third down. And, you know, mm. You hope it comes to him on third down and not have you know a situation where Case Keenum doesn't have his most what he's been targeted twenty two times in the last three games like mm. it's he's becoming throw another crazy one he's becoming the Julio Jones of this offense oh in terms of targets because Mohamed Sanu's like got like forty less targets than than Jones but that's which just, I yeah. think
0: is probably the right way to go yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, let's let's get to that eventually with the Julio Jones versus Rhodes because sure. I love that matchup. Me too. And you talked with Rhodes about it. But I, let's stick here, though, with the defensive line against Case Keenum sure. because I think that the two defensive tackles, uh, Poe and Jarrett, make things difficult for a quarterback to step up like Keenum was able to do last week because uh, Haloti Nada was not playing. The interior linemen of the Lions are brutal. So he was not able to step up or he was able to step up a lot because I think they had good protection in the middle, even if the lions had uh, pressure along the edges. Well, now I think all of the guys up front can pressure. And I was going back and watching Russell Wilson. Now that's a terrible offensive line, but Russell mm-hmm. Wilson against Atlanta many times got pressure from all areas and had to do some serious, amazing Russell Wilson things to escape. And I'm wondering how that might be different with case Keenum handling that if they do go to less play action getting the ball out quicker against these these zones th- trying to run underneath stuff looking for yards after catch I, I think it's going to be a very difficult matchup because the Falcons are so good uh, with their pass rush
1: and they're so quick I mean this athletic this is the most athletic defense and the fastest defense they're gonna face and you know they've made the comparison this week because they faced Seattle in the preseason I think it was week three week four. One of the two. I, don't, I, mean I forget two. everything with the preseason as soon as it ends.
0: <laughs> when but people they're... are getting upset about preseason things, I ask them, what's the preseason game you remember? Because I put it out of my mind immediately when it's done.
1: Yeah, I remember certain things, in the pre- not this preseason. but Only like...
0: if it was really funny.
1: Colin Kaepernick started the whole thing during the preseason against oh, that's Green right. Bay. It's the only preseason game I remember.
0: Okay, that's not funny.
1: That's not funny. But, but one
0: time, Matt Sims was getting sacked, and he just threw the ball, and it went backwards. He threw the ball overhand backwards 30 yards.
1: That's awesome. That's, that takes some skill.
0: That's one way to put it, yeah. So, that's so back the, to the that's pass That's the only rush. thing I remember about the preseason, <laughs> but back to the pass rush.
1: I mean, they just have so many guys. It's not like you're game planning for an Everson Griffin, who's their sack leader. I mean, they've got, what, Adrian Claiborne, I believe, is the leader, maybe? He is. He, like he has eight.
0: eight. Six of them came against Dak Prescott and yeah. the Cowboys.
1: That was, like, insane. Um, but then, like, you know, a guy like Vic Beasley, who his thing this year has not been – most times last year when he, was forced, when he was sacking guys, he was forcing fumbles, and that's only happened once, and I think it happened against Aaron Rodgers um, earlier in the season. I mean, there's – for having a guy that, I mean, he reminds me a lot of Bruce Irvin, like when I covered the Raiders, I mean, that I'm seeing a lot of the very similar skill sets from, you know, your pass rusher um, there, but it's, I just think that the offensive line, you don't know where, how to set the coverages, or excuse me, set your protections, because the rush could come from anywhere, so I think it makes it harder for Case Keenum, I and he's gonna, I think he said he's gonna have to get rid of the ball quicker, uh, because of that, because number one, they know the speed, number two, this could this is going to be more tricky because he 's not going to have as much time i don 't think to read um, you know the defense and I think this is a really big case of why they need Mike Remmers back this week, not saying Rashad Hill has not done a f- fantastic job but He's going to match up quite a bit with Vic Beasley, and and, and a lot of it one on one.
0: I think where you need Remmers too is in the run game yeah. because the Falcons are not very good at defending the run. And given up
1: like 112 yards in the last three games, which have all been wins, but this is a chance where they can really. You, I think Latavius Murray, I mean, is making the most of this situation in the last few weeks, and this could be, given the style of this defense, this could be, I think, his best game.
0: Because they rush so far off the edges mm-hmm. uh, from the uh, nine technique sometimes. Ah. Love it. Today at practice, they were throwing around a giant red ball and then just, like, whacking it. I was like, this is so football. <laughs> it's just this giant, heavy ball, and they're just like, It was like slamming into it. Was it was like
1: kickball size. No, it was bigger than that. Oh, it was
0: – yeah, it was like, like a, it was like a b- bunch a, of kickballs. Yeah, it, it, was like, it was very big. Yeah. Anyway, just – I always think about that when we get to training camp when they – Run through these things and they tackle these dummies. Like, do these guys really still need to do this? But that is fundamentals
1: aside, never go away through 17 weeks.
0: It's clearly what's helped them get to nine and two was tackling those dummies um, and but, kicking
1: around the giant soccer red ball, whatever it was.
0: But all that aside, so they're really going to be ready for it now <laughs> because of the giant red ball. Putting that aside, but when they rush from so wide, I think that create some rushing lanes for uh, the opposing team and is maybe one of the reasons why they're giving up so many running yards and and you would think that that would help the Vikings a lot but they like to play Atlanta likes to play the cover three zone and they've got the fast linebacker Dion Jones and it seems like to me when they bring their safeties up uh, it's a little different than some other teams do and it kind of creates like almost an umbrella and keeps you underneath so Mike Zimmer mentioned that They're not a lot of explosive plays against this Falcons defense, maybe for that reason, Uh, because they try to keep everything in front of you. And they say, all right, well, if you're going to gain four yards a run or five yards a run, that's all right, but you're not going to hit on big passing plays. And that's been uh, the case over the last couple of weeks. And I think that's different from almost every other defense they've faced this year outside of Tampa Bay where everyone got hurt and Mm -hmm. they don't want to play anymore and whatever else happened there. Uh, but I think there's some similarity there, and it will be a different challenge for Case Keenum to be patient enough but also get the ball out quickly, and that's why, like you said, Latavius Murray and Jarek McKinnon are going to be huge in this one.
1: Yeah, and I mean, this is going to be the most physical game, mark it down. I think not just that they've seen, I think of the season. Um, the way that those defenses, the way that this defense matches up with you know this offense, I think it's going to be, you know, they're facing, obviously they're like, you know, mostly his own concept, but like they're, they're they're sprinkling in more man coverage more than at least they have the last time they saw each other in 2015. But um, to me, the most interesting part of that game against Tampa Bay, not only do you lose your number one and number three cornerback, and, you know, that's obviously a tough thing with that. I mean, is that back seven's so good because they're so quick? But you have a guy like Ricardo Allen who goes from like, never taking a snap this season at nickelback, like, you know, he's a safety, um, and how well he did with that, like, really critical third down, um, you know, you know, forced a big stop there, that these guys are versatile. I think their defensive backs are truly like a Terrence Newman in a sense where he is a defensive back. He's not... You know, you can throw him at slot corner, you can throw him outside, you can he can do whatever. But these guys, I mean, that's just, it's so tricky. And I think it's going to really, you know, with Keenum reading coverages, I mean, this is going to, that group and those personnel and how they mix it up is going to really, really be a test for him.
0: And something to keep an eye on is Keanu Neal, too, yeah. from mm-hmm. uh, the defensive backs, because he moves up, sometimes even into a linebacker position. Yeah kind of like Harrison Smith does, exactly. and then exactly. they'll move a linebacker out to the edge. Play him at the
1: line of scrimmage if they have to.
0: Yeah, they do a lot with him, and he's quick enough to cover wide receivers at the line of scrimmage, or he could play the deep center field. I think he's maybe the most valuable player on their defense, even though they do have that good pass rush. But this is it's very different conversation from the Falcons teams that we've talked about in the past that have kind of been New Orleans-like, where, okay, they don't have a great defense, but they do have a great offense, and on the offensive side of the ball, it seems like Atlanta is back. That whatever happened in Looks the beginning of the season, whatever happened in the beginning of the season post Kyle Shanahan was not working. And they went back to a lot of the concepts that they had used under Shanahan. And all of a sudden they've been going off on, on offense. It's kind of the wrong and right time to run into them because it's a great test for a Vikings team that wants to be a Super Bowl contender. But also if you want to win this game. I mean, this is an offense that's pretty serious and is getting their star running back uh, back in the lineup.
1: Yeah, and I mean, that's, you know, having Devontae Freeman, you know, that's huge. Obviously, you know, they haven't had him in a number of weeks, and they've still been able to score, what, 95 points in the last three games?
0: 92, yeah. 95. 94.
1: Ninety-five, I believe. I don't remember.
0: I definitely look this up. I just guessed.
1: I... Well, it's above ninety. We both can agree on that, at least. But um, I mean, it's tremendous. And but I do think. I mean, not trying to be like the ultra optimist here, but outside of Julio Jones's two hundred fifty-three yard game, which was just miraculous, and I honestly do think he may have defied the law of gravity on that second touchdown because he flew like he legitimately had air yards on his body. Um, but uh, anyways, I mean, there's there's no better time, I think, for, for them to face him because you have Harrison Smith playing at the level he's playing, so you have safety help for Xavier Rhodes right. at all times. And, you know, we've both agreed that Smith might be the most, you know, likely is the most important part of this defense just for his versatility. And, I mean, how tremendous, you know, he was last week against, you know, both, you know, in, in coverage and, you know, obviously against the run. So, I mean... I think that it is going to be a tough test, and they are running into Atlanta probably at an inopportune time because these, but these next two wins, excuse me, next two games, if they become wins, I mean, you write your, you write your destiny at that point. You're not relying on anyone else um, for seeding. Like you, you have a clear path, and you just have to, you know, beat the last two NFC champions. No big deal. Yeah, it, right.
0: <laughs> it would make a huge statement to to do it yeah. if they were able to beat the Atlanta and Carolina, and I and I do kind of chunk them together. Because they are two of the legitimate contenders for the Super Bowl in the NFC. And the rest of the way after that, it's all, you should win those three games. It'd be really, well, we'll see if Rodgers comes back. I don't think he's going to. No,
1: it doesn't Uh, matter at this point anyways.
0: So if it's Brett Hundley, then, I mean, you should steamroll through the final three and end up at a point where you're week 17, who cares against the Bears, uh, if you can win these two games. And I also think in terms of the conversation, they've won some really good, Uh, games against good opponents i mean the rams game is especially uh impressive to to beat them the way they did but these two opponents going on the road to do it i think would put you at the very top of this is the strongest team in the nfc outside of philadelphia Mm -hmm. and philadelphia's got some tough tests too
1: god they've got seattle and los angeles on the road in back-to-back weeks i think that i mean you talk about atlanta and carolina and this battle test i mean I don't think anybody has a tougher stretch to end, or not to end, just getting towards the end of the season than than the two top teams in the NFC.
0: Yeah, I think we'll find out who the real teams are, because Atlanta and New Orleans, I think, play twice Mm -hmm. over this last stretch. That's
1: going to be crucial in terms of tiebreaker, Mm -hmm. like, at the end.
0: So it's going to be, these next few weeks, I think, will really tell us who the best teams in the NFC are. And then going into the final couple of weeks, we'll have our opinions set on what it's going to look like for the playoffs. Uh, just the last thing, with Julio Jones and Xavier Rhodes, Rhodes was dinged up against the Rams. I think someone stepped on his calf. Um, when- yeah, I'm
1: trying to think of the play that he got injured because they brought him immediately over to the little blue tent, and he was able to play through it, which I think is a good sign, and obviously he didn't miss any time. And, you know, I don't know if the calf was – Maybe it slowed him down against Marvin Jones. I think Marvin Jones just had an incredible catch, which also added to what 107 yards. I mean, that was a big catch.
0: Forty-two of it. On, yeah, on play. Like,
1: yeah, in two touchdowns. So, and I there mean, was
0: confusion on the defensive side, which doesn't. Yeah, because like, it was him
1: and Terrence Newman, and like it was like over the top, and it was just a really weird.
0: I think they had 12 men on the field. Was it?
1: it might have been was because they the were case? weren't they running? A, they were running pretty quick at that time
0: yeah i think uh those are the types of things that you don't see on a non-thursday game (laughs) you know (laughs) i mean those are the type of things where if it happens on a thursday game you go oh yeah okay they must be playing in the short week (laughs) because that never happens with this defense um i this matchup is as good as it gets i've been i've
1: been waiting for this one for a while it's just what i circled
0: for a one-on-one I mean he had Antonio Brown earlier this year and it was really good. Unfortunately not a great overall game for mm-hmm. the Vikings, but it was fun to watch those two. How do you size this one up?
1: I mean every time he's had these assignments, he's he outside let's just just put Marvin Jones aside for a second. Like he hasn't every number one receiver he's had and I believe it's been at least 80% of the matchups this season. That's that's where he's been. Um he's held guys to no touchdowns and less than 67 yards. So this is going to be, this is a bit his biggest test of the season. He knows it. Um, You know, he's been able to pull on experiences of, you know, following guys in the past. And I remember that was kind of like a thing earlier in the season. It's like, wow, like they're letting him follow guys into the slot. I mean, you know, as that's not necessarily been like a trend, um, you know, he's kind of stayed, you know, doing what he's doing. Um, I think that this is to really, test Xavier Rhodes like at this point in the season and know like where where he stands against Julio Jones because he's done well against him before I think the last time they played in 2015 he held him like less than 60 yards no touchdowns I mean I think it solidifies at this point if if he's able to shut down um Julio Jones I mean to me this is the, the debate's over I don't really know if there is much of a debate I mean he still is in my opinion the top shutdown corner in the league and that's not because I cover this team it's because really who else can you put in in comparison with Xavier Rhodes right yeah, now I, I
0: think there's probably like a group of three or four guys uh, Peterson from yeah. Arizona and I, I would also throw um, Marcus Peters in there from Kansas City.
1: Eh, I'm, I've cooled off on Marcus Peters. You're less on
0: Peters. Fair enough. I mean, they haven't had a great defensive season yeah. there, but he's known as one of the best. I would put Xavier top five. Like. Lock him into a top five spot. And if you're right, if he shuts down Julio Jones this week, you're talking about him being elevated to the guy, even though he already has shut down Antonio Brown, Odell Beckham Jr. last year, Mike Evans. Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas. Mike Evans kicked a garbage can or whatever (laughs) out of frustration during that game after facing Rhodes all day.
1: And he also whined about it on Twitter the next day, next day, next day or two, whatever it was. Evans
0: made himself look pretty salty the next day and that's what Xavier Rhodes has been able to do to people he's
1: frustrating he's he like these guys try to get him to turn his head and like all that stuff I mean it does not work on him like he is that good where he's he knows your tendencies and personally I think that in this style of offense that Matt Ryan has where he spreads the ball out we saw it really take off last year with, you know, the way that they were able to use Freeman and Coleman, um, you know, as pass catchers, and just how many how many weapons they have. Um, reminds me of like the vintage like Joe Flacco days where he had like forty people to pass the ball to. Um,
0: Are they, there vintage Joe Flacco days?
1: Super Bowl year. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Don't get cute here. <laughs> try to like. Would, would
0: you say that those days were elite for Joe Flacco? Or I'm not
1: putting him in that class. No way. Um, but I, I do think that it it creates so much more. It's it just it's great. It's almost like that. There's your isolation, kind of having him as like your island corner. Like have that happen, and then you've got Terrence Newman, Trey Waynes, Mackenzie Alexander, all the rest of your defense, your corners, and your your safeties figuring out. All oh, you know, six other guys that you have to game plan for, and, you know, how tricky Mohamed Sanu can be. I mean, maybe they'll use him in the Wildcat again. Maybe he'll actually – I mean, that was impressive last week. But um,
0: yeah, He's done that in Cincinnati too. I really
1: enjoyed seeing that.
0: He, he just hucks it down the field because he's got a great arm, I guess. Yeah. It's amazing sometimes when we're watching guys just run around, playing around after practice – when we're doing interviews and stuff, mm-hmm. that some of the wide receivers can huck it 50 yards no problem. Whatever. I'm sure a
1: lot of them were probably quarterbacks at one level. Yeah. Maybe not necessarily at the last level in college, although Jarek McKinnon, um, you know, if we're talking about you know versatile running backs like Atlanta does have, I mean, he was a quarterback at one point. But yeah, you're right. Like, there's. I'm trying to think who well, I've La- seen. Well,
0: Laquan with the best Treadwell arm. was doing it one day, and he threw it probably 50 yards, like, not even putting his back into it. it just. Just flipping it with his arm awesome. through the air It was like, okay, you're good at a lot of things. But it, maybe it shows you that uh, I mean, not specifically um, catching a lot of passes for Laquan Treadwell, but I mean, athletically, a lot of these guys can do that. I just love the fact that they let Sanu actually do it in games. Uh, That's huge. It adds it was an extra thing play. to pay attention to. Yeah, yeah.
1: No, I mean, I thought it was, I thought it was really cool, and I think that he. The the combo that they have there, too, I mean, Julio Jones and, and Mohammed Sanu, I think, are easily in that conversation for, like, one of the top one, two punches, as as are, obviously, Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. But um, the, the tricky thing in, here with Atlanta, I mean, take a look at the games that Julio's had after going over 250. I think in 2014, he did that against maybe Green Bay, I want to say, and then the next game was the Saints. He had, like, 100 yards, and then last last year... 2016 um, against Denver. He, like, had the big game against the Panthers, um, did it against Denver and had, like, 29 yards and was only targeted, like, four times and had two catches. So, I mean, he's, you know, obviously team's game plan for this dude, especially hard after things like that happen. But, you know... It's kind of an inopportune time for him to be facing Xavier Rhodes, just given the strength of this defense and, you know, how Rhodes' season has gone. And now kind of knowing this trend after he does explode, well, I mean, the Bucks, Bucks have Bucks' defense has gone, had a lot of hits. Yeah, this is a healthy, healthy, healthy Vikings defense, all things considered.
0: Yeah, it's, it's going to be a, a big difference in challenge since um, the Vikings went bananas against the Bucks and so many other quarterbacks mm-hmm. have this year. It just seems like their defense is a complete disaster. Um, well, this matchup, I think, is extremely close and offers high entertainment value. I have this in my mind as one where if the Vikings lose by three or six or a touchdown or something like that, you still feel really good about where your team is. And that's kind of how I would predict the game for them to – or something like that. I think going down to Atlanta is maybe the difference maker there. That's kind of where I have it. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess I thought the Rams would beat the Vikings, too, and that didn't happen. So we keep expecting this losing streak at some point to come to a halt, uh, or this winning streak, I mean, to come to a halt. Uh, Maybe it's this week. I've kind of got that happening, but... I think with this defense they can beat just about anyone. So where do you stand on whether uh, the Vikings will beat the Falcons?
1: I pick them to win this week. Particularly yeah, particularly cuz I'm a homer and because I mean we we did get the we did get the Rams game wrong and but no i don't think anybody pre, you know predicted that you know top scoring offense in the league would be held to seven points like that's and you know to outscore them by 17 too i mean against that defense um i think this game would be a lot higher scoring if these two defenses weren't playing each other if these two defenses were different like i have it as 22 20 27 22 vikings 22 i i just think that there's i, I
0: do we got a safety mixed in, a couple of field goals? I like
1: to throw stuff like that in there because I don't want to just make it, like, an even based on point spread. Like, I always like to think that there's going to be something I cannot predict. I mean, score um,
0: predictions are senseless anyway. Like, you know. The, li- the
1: line of the game, they were, they were we favored. I was looking at the FPI, which, I mean, you could, some people look at lines. ESPN has the FPI. Um, what and- does that stand for? Football,
0: football. All right, go on. The percentage index I don't need to know or something. The rest. I mean, they, I don't they do it for like
1: the they've done it for like Super Bowl projections, anyways. Like it's just that's their win percentage, um, and I just think that this defense, both of these defenses, are going to be able to. This might be the first time you see a pick six from the Vikings this year. Um, I'd be very curious with Atlanta as well that. The defenses might actually get in on the scoring action this week, and so that's why I think the score where I have it, um, and not going like directly off the spread or you know FPI. Um, I'm I'm I'm, tr- I'm thinking it's going to be a little spicy.
0: I mean, it's a it's a bold prediction. If we had a show let's, called Let's Have Fun, bold with predictions. <laughs> yeah, now I'm upset trying to figure out a hilarious way to get a safety. Um, blocked punt in the end zone, maybe. Yeah. That's not really funny. Well, well, now, what almost happened against the Rams when the punter was very close to stepping on the back yes, of the end zone. And, that,
1: and that's what everybody was freaking out about because he showed them the replay, like, oh, wait, he actually was not. Yeah.
0: Okay, I'll take that then. I I'll mean, take that for how they get to 22.
1: And I think also with the Vikings, which is the reason I didn't give them an even 28, is because I'm just not completely it's, confident in the kicking game.
0: Oh, well, as you shouldn't be. I mean, it's fine. Like, if you pick 24 or you pick 22, I mean, who knows? There have been scores that have been 22 to whatever. I like odd scores. Just, I like
1: fun ones because there's always something cl- – There's always, you can't, can't predict calamity. That, that should be actually – that's the title of my memoir. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Well, uh, that On seems that like a good place to walk away from this. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Purple Podcast.